0: There's so much about dogs that I feel so close to, or, you know, having a really strong bond with your dog is an amazing feeling. And yet, there's a whole part of their world I can't enter.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dog Lab. Today's episode is Making Sense of Smell with our guest, Jessica Schulte. It's a fascinating conversation about how the superhuman ability informs the ways in which our dogs perceive, navigate, and understand the world around them. It also provides insight into the value of adding structured or competitive nose work into your dog's routine. Jessica is a certified dog behavior consultant and a certified professional dog trainer and is one of the first nosework instructors certified on the east coast and has been teaching nosework classes for well over a decade. She has been the odor recognition test national coordinator for the NACSW as well as the editor for the NACSW newsletter. Jessica competes with her own dog Tricks in K9 nosework where they compete at the elite level. They also compete in rally, rally free, and freestyle. Jessica works with Instinct Dog Behavior and Training in New York City, teaching manners, obedience, and solving behavioral issues for dogs and their people. Jessica was invited to this episode because not only has she trained and evaluated dogs for canine nosework competitions, but has deep understanding and applying the principles of canine nosework to help owners have a better relationship with their dog and to help dogs overcome behavior challenges. So with that background information, here is Jessica Schulte. Jessica Schulte, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So there's a lot to get through here. Let's start by just acknowledging the entirely different world that dogs live in and how they perceive the environment. So regardless of whether or not one does detection work or competitive nose work like you do, um, how, how important is it to understand this ability and how it colors and shapes their experience as they move uh throughout the world?
0: Oh, I think it's it couldn't be more important. I think dogs um while they do use their vision, they really go by smell first. They can smell emotions on us, they can smell hormones on us, they smell things in the world we're not even aware of. Um when I'm teaching I tell my students that for a dog Like, if you compare our vision with a dog's smell, and you imagine walking down the street with a blindfold on, you wouldn't be able to figure out where you were in the world, feel safe, understand what was going to happen next, know where you were, know if the person that you love is by you, unless you reached out. I mean, just by vision, you wouldn't know. Um, All that stuff we do with our eyes. Dogs are doing it with their notes. And if you think about looking at the world, like if you look at a garden or a flower, you take in a flower, whereas a dog can smell each petal, can smell if there was a drop of water on that petal, can smell if an insect walked on a petal, if a foot crushed the flower or stepped on the flower, you know, hours ago, if another dog peed on the flower, I mean, we just see flower and the dog gets this huge bouquet of information that we tend to just take for granted. We don't even think about that when we let our dogs stop to investigate something.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, it's sort of mind boggling. And it's one of the things that I think about a lot of times is, if I could pay a million dollars or $10 million just to see what it's like to perceive the world like them for just a minute, I mean, I, I would figure, I would try to figure out a way to do it. Um, because I think in terms of how we train or how we look at our canine family members, that they really are living in a different world. and it's, it's definitely important. Like you said, just to understand just how amazing that ability is, how it changes, how, you know, how, how they perceive things. And I think I was reading in one of the studies um, that that will be in our reference list, but, you know, a lot of people know that dogs can smell people or they know that they can smell a shirt that they've worn. And they see that, you know, in terms of tracking, you know, the, the dogs on TV and, and and those types of things where they smell a shirt and they go look for someone. But I believe they've done controlled studies where like people just hover their hands over a swab. They don't even touch the swab. And dogs can discriminate and know who who the person was. Um, it's it's mind-blowing.
0: <laughs> it is mind-blowing. Um, I hate that I can't experience that. <laughs> I hate that there's so much about dogs that I feel so close to or, you know, having a really strong bond with your dog is an amazing feeling. And yet there's a whole part of their world I can't enter. You know, like there is this whole other thing going on that I can acknowledge it. But I feel like even when we talk about it and we look at the science and we look at the studies. I have no idea what any of that is really like. I have no idea what it's like to smell on the chemical level or such a micro level. It's, It's more than a foreign language to me. It's something I can't learn.
1: Yeah, it's it's sometimes it's like we're, you know, we we want to discover life on other planets and those things and we really have <laughs> barely scratched the surface on not only species on this planet but the ones that live right next to us.
0: <laughs> right. We take yeah. so much for granted and we make so many assumptions.
1: Yeah. And it's even it's even things sometimes where you you know, you'll be training a dog or you'll have your own dog out on a walk and all of a sudden they'll be afraid or nervous and you're looking around and you 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 can't see anything different. But, you know, God God knows what what they're actually perceiving. And it's giving them that benefit of the doubt and making sure I think that we, you know, pay attention to the feedback that they're giving us. Because again, they, they really are, you know, they can almost travel through time a lot of times. And I think that the point you talked about, uh, you know, with the crushed petal or, you know, with the, you know, the search and rescue dogs searching, you know, they can smell, I believe the difference in crushed vegetation versus vegetation that wasn't touched mm-hmm. you know so just yeah it's yeah. it's really incredible i think that's one takeaway for everyone is just as we move through this conversation and if they could leave with one thing i think that knowing that they really do per- perception really clouds yeah. cook sorry colors your experience and and how you see see the world so i think that's that that's a really important point
0: yeah um Just something you said made me remember um, late summer I was out with my dog Trix for for a late walk and she stopped and she froze and I saw her air scenting. Her head, she stood very still. She lifted her head. I could see her nose working and she didn't want to move. And I thought, all right, something is going on. And I gave it... mm, maybe 30 seconds, it felt like a long time, but I don't really think it was. It's just when you're out by yourself in New York City in the nighttime (laughs) standing on a corner. Um, But as we stood there, I watched her kind of zero in with the angle of her head um, at at a specific direction. And I looked in that direction with her, I was looking, she was scenting, and suddenly a skunk across the street, and that's like <laughs> she knew that skunk was coming. Like I had no idea there was a skunk in the neighborhood, and she knew it was coming way before I ever would have seen it.
1: Yeah, it's it's in that case, it's 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 like being able to almost see the future. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's incredible, and that that that's sort of a good a good sort of segue in, into another sort of concept, which is observing the behavior of sniffing can give us you know insight into a dog's emotional state Do you want to talk about that a little bit and why why it's important to pay attention to when they're sniffing or when they're not sniffing or how they're sniffing and sort of what that can tell us about you know how they're feeling at any particular moment
0: Well I think um they're always smelling whether we're seeing that, Senting the nostrils moving or hearing that sound that they make when they're searching intently. Um, I think we, because dogs are so good at falling in and, and acclimating to us and adjusting to our lifestyles, we forget, or we don't, and, and this is not at all a judgment. This is just what happens in life. You've got to get somewhere and you're taking your dog out for a walk and you've got a meeting in 20 minutes and, you know, um, so it happens. There are walks that are not, where dogs are not allowed to stop and interpret things the way they would normally. We we hurry them along or we yank them away from what we think is disgusting that they're putting their noses in. Um, and I think like on those kinds of walks, dogs are like, okay, this is just what we're doing now. They're so forgiving of us. And they're so like, I don't know, silly human, you don't want me to smell this, whatever. That's weird, but okay, I'll go with you. Um, they're,
1: they're, they're really like the, I mean, most dogs are really like the best friend or best house guest you could ever have. I mean, they just yeah, kind of go right. along with, with what we do, even if what we do is, makes I, th- no I think sense. W- w- makes no sense. And, 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 if they have a sense of rudeness, it would definitely be considered very rude um, to be interrupting them from what they're doing.
0: Right. Um, So that happens. But I think that happening on a daily, regular basis, not allowing a dog to express its sniffiness um, in its life, I think we're doing the dog a disservice. Um, And I think they are deprived of something really vital to their understanding of the world.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, when, when I think back or when I think back to my, my first dogs that I've trained or the first dogs that that I've had, that's something that comes to mind quite a bit is, is how much I sort of interrupted that. And it, it can, it can come from good intentions that we think we're exercising Absolutely. our dog and, uh, you know, it, it, like you said, we do have to get from point A to point B, and sometimes our dogs sniff out things. Like I think every New Yorker has been elbow <laughs> deep in their dog's throat, pulling out a chicken bone at some point. <laughs> yeah. So, but but all of that aside, there is we we are getting in the way of that, and I think you know being being conscious of it's important, and and also I think you know what are your you know when when dogs stop using their nose, so I think that that's something you know. So when we see dogs using their nose. I guess it can tell us that they're probably feeling at least comfortable enough to be to be doing that. But do you want to talk about the flip side when when they sort of stop using their nose and they're kind of all sight and all all sound?
0: I I actually um, don't know if that happens. I don't know if
1: hmm.
0: we can take. I mean, unless there's something physically wrong with the dog and there are tumors or there's some defect. I don't think we can, I don't think a dog can go nose blind. And I may be wrong about this, but I re- think I read that it's a sense that doesn't get weaker as a dog ages.
1: Interesting.
0: Um, I need to double check that, but but I'm, I'm thinking about like kind of what you're talking about where I do think that dogs stop trying. Mm. They just get used to the routine and they know if they're going to put their nose on the ground or start snuffling along. Somebody's going to yank on their leash or call them or say no or um, they're going to get interrupted. So they stop using their nose to investigate that way. But I don't think they can ever, just like, if you're a sighted person, how could you walk down the street and not see things? Like even if you're not looking, right? right? Like for specific minute things, you're still seeing wide swaths of street or a bunch of trees. Like you know where you are visually. I think a dog can do that by their, by their nose as well. Like know when they're getting closer to home. Know when, um, like if you take a different route, I think they know when they're getting close to home. I, you drive if you drive with your dog regularly, you know they know somehow when you get off the right exit that you're heading home. You know, like you, the dogs will get excited, they'll stand up if they were laying down, they'll wake up if they were sleeping. I, I think that's all sent.
1: Yeah, and it's it maybe and I think you touch on a really good point because there are times where, so let's say if a dog sees another dog that they don't like or the dog is going to the vet and they walk into the vet and they're clearly afraid of all the sights and sounds and everything in there. Generally, you're not going to see them exploring and sniffing. And I think maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's a mistake to say that they aren't using their nose because that that's a good way of putting it. It's, is That probably doesn't go away. But so maybe a better way of putting it is, dogs who aren't exploring with their nose are, are, are really like the the way that we view it where we actually see them you know sort of taking things in and maybe it's something where when we see those when they're taking those big breaths in and you kind of sniffing and it looks like they're just the world's best meditators and they're all sort of you know enlightened <laughs> um <laughs> But, but there are times where they aren't doing that. And and that for me sometimes points to the fact that they might be feeling uncomfortable or those types of things. So so maybe I frame that wrong. But so, you know, are there things that we should watch out for in terms of if they're not exploring when they have the freedom to?
0: So one of the things I see in those work classes a lot are dogs who are environmentally sensitive, who are very uncomfortable in new or different environments, won't explore or hunt with their noses because they need to feel safe Mm -hmm. to be able to turn their attention to something else. Um, So when I work with very shy or fearful or environmentally sensitive dogs, I allow them as much time as they need to be in a new place before they decide they can put their head down and look for some food that I've hidden um, or that even that I've just placed two feet in front of them. Um, you know, if a dog is really stressed out and really worried, they're not going to eat. They're not going to play. They're not going to investigate their surroundings until they feel like, okay, I think I can focus on something else. I don't think there's a dog murderer in the room right now. I think I can do this. Um, but that can also take a while, you know, Mm -hmm. that can take several several classes for some very frightened dogs to feel safe enough to explore.
1: And then once you do start seeing them to explore, is that usually a signal or an insight that things might be starting to trend in the right direction? Because I I sort of, yeah, because I sort of feel like when I've had those dogs where you almost start to see them, their nose, they start to use their nose. You're like, Oh, okay. Like you're feeling comfortable enough now. And I think once you start paying attention to that, you almost, it's almost impossible not to, um, you know, once you start seeing that. Uh, Yeah. So I, so I, yeah.
0: There is um, a dog who still takes nose work classes um, and has been taking them probably for close to 10 years. I think they started very soon after I started teaching, ginormous, beautiful Shiloh Shepherd. So like big dog, big, fierce looking wolf-like dog. And um, the sweet thing was literally afraid of her shadow. And um, her person, so incredibly loving and patient and supportive of this dog, Uh, just absolutely beautiful to watch them together. Um, And that dog had all the trust in the world in her person. I think Sheridan was in class probably three years, maybe a little more before she felt comfortable enough to take food. Mm. She would search, she would hunt. But when she got to her, when she got to the find, the hide, she getting, going back with her owner to a safe place was more important than eating, getting a reward. That dog now is competing. <laughs> She's able to go into new new environments and work and succeed. She takes food. Um, it was a huge transformation. And we just took our cues from Sheridan. Um, we never forced her out into the ring. If she came out with her per- with Carrie with her person we just allowed them to be together and um Carrie supported Sheridan however she could if Sheridan said I want to go back to my crate I don't like this she went back to her crate um and it was just amazing what allowing that dog to go at her pace and learn that she was safe in the world and that she could have fun in the world uh, I think it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen working with, with nose work.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's, there's, there's a part to this that I think is important because I, I think some people would hear like, well, it took three years to take food. What was the the point <laughs> of doing that? Right. So, but I, I, you definitely got into it on the latter end because it seemed like it opened up a whole other world in terms of being able to explore and feeling confident and going places. And that's, that's always a line that I think we're walking and training, um, whether it's with people or dogs or, you know, uh, sort of that healthy, you know, sort of holding their hand. But, you know, the, there's always going to be a little bit in stress uh, involved. Yeah. But 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 picking it, what I love about that activity is that you can't force it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you you can't force a dog to sniff and find things. And I find that's one of the more interesting things about it.
0: Yeah, um, I realized when I said that <laughs> that it sounded almost like a little bit, um, like we were forcing this poor scared dog to do things. But but it's I, a good
1: example because it's we, we 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 need examples like this because sometimes things do take long. You know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's not everything's a TV show,
0: <laughs> right? And if Sheridan wanted didn't want to come into the to the facility. I don't think Carrie would have continued working with her. Sheridan showed that she wanted to. Um, she came in happily to, into class. Um, <laughs> there was something about how this team worked together that made myself and my co-instructor and the other instructors at Porchester feel that we were not traumatizing her. We were not We weren't breaking a trust bond that she had with her person. Uh, We had a feral dog in class as well. Somebody had adopted this feral dog who was, you can imagine, people totally. But we were able to get her out on the floor and hunt for food. And her person would cry because it was the happiest she'd ever seen the dog. We Mm -hmm. were letting the dog go into like her dog state and not worry about navigating a human world with human laws and rules. And she felt completely comfortable hunting in the classroom.
1: And what do you think is that, uh, that builds that confidence or, you know, sort of helps them learn to explore or want to explore. I mean, I've definitely seen it with dogs where, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sort of a casual scent detection nose work person. So I I don't have anywhere near the experience you do, but I've used it in small doses with, you know, different dogs that I've worked with, or, or even my own dogs. And and you can really see sometimes like the difference it makes in their confidence. Like, why do like, why do you think that happens versus, you know, compared to maybe some other activities? uh, And and it's not to, well, I I won't give examples of other activities, but what, what, where do you think the power is in this activity in terms of leading to that you know, continued growth in confidence and, and wanting to explore and just being comfortable in their own skin?
0: Yeah, I think it's because they they can be fully themselves and use a sense, their olfaction as a way to solve problems and, and win. Um, and when we're working, when we're working in the classroom developing skill, we try as hard as possible to have the dog work as independently as the dog can possibly do, um, and they learn, they learn that they can. You know, they learn that they can get this thing, that they can find it, that they can, um, even if a chair falls or a train goes by or a loud noise happens, um, all those normal signals that something scary could happen can start to fade away and not be as important as predictors of scary things. That was really clumsy. But um, I think it takes pressure off the other worries. Yeah. Um, this is really, I'm not saying this right. I need No, that.
1: no, it, it, it um, does make sense. I, I let, let me. I I think if I can say what what you were or try to uh, replay what 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 you were <laughs> saying, um, but it's it's really that they have. It's almost like they have a something to focus on, right? So it's like a it's like a task to to focus on, but then there's also this element of. Being like, like you said, like being able to do something, which I do feel like is it's it's almost like a like an autonomy piece and learning yeah. how to have some sort of control and being able to do something that feels good. And then, you know, if if they're socially, you know, sort of motivated with people too, the people I'm sure get happy and they pick up on that feedback. But I feel like, like from from what you were saying, it's when you're in like a big scary world, you can't really say don't be scared. Right? Right. That's,
0: that never that, that, that never that <laughs> never
1: works. So generally, you're going to need some sort of coping skills. And for dogs, I think sniffing and exploring is a coping skill. Yep. Um, and then when you're actually focused on that and you know other scary things happen, you can kind of almost bring yourself back or they can almost bring themselves back to that activity. Um, so that that's sort of what I heard from you. So I think you yeah. did a good job explaining okay.
0: it. <laughs> it. It also goes back to what I think I was saying before is that you can't do any of this if you don't feel safe in your environment. So it allows us to see that a dog feels safe enough to trust that those other sounds or or movements, um, that they feel safe even though those, those things are happening, even though the train went by, even though um, a dog barked, even though um, a chair fell or something fell on the floor where they were searching right near them. And they notice it and they're like, eh, no big deal. And they keep going. That is pretty wonderful.
1: Yeah. And it's, and I think what's even cooler is that, you know, the sort of like the chicken and the egg things. I know you mentioned that they have to feel safe in the environment, but I do feel like the activity is what makes some dogs feel safe in the environment. So it's not even that it's sort of that it's like, I don't think it's, always that they feel safe first and then they sniff. I feel like the, that activity can some, sometimes sort of help them feel safer in, in that environment. Um, well, I don't know your thoughts on that.
0: Well, we, we definitely see displacement sniffing, right? Um, you know, if I'm working in a non work environment with a dog and we're outside and I know the dog um, doesn't feel safe in New York City or is worried about scooters, you'll often see a dog put their head down and Sniff, 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 sniff. Um, <laughs> you can see this sometimes in... Um, you Actually, you can see this even sometimes in nose work competitions. But I was going to say like in obedience or agility, but it happens. I don't think it's sports specific. If a dog feels stressed, suddenly you see them start sniffing things, mm-hmm. right? It's, um, it's like twirling your hair or biting your lip. Um, it's a coping strategy. Or New York, already- you
1: curse at people, I guess, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um but it's more, um, more yeah, so it, it's a pro-social sort of coping skill. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's appropriate coping skill.
0: Right. And it allows them, it gives them a pause or it allows them to disengage from whatever's going on because they're worried about it. Um, I don't know. It'd be really interesting to know if, the sniffing that happens when they're doing that displacement behavior is any different sniffing when they're exploring or hunting, like what is going on that makes that calming and soothing?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, and I believe there are studies as well that talk about that sniffing can actually lower. And this might, might've been in the the field study. Um, it's unpublished work, but I think they looked at, but I, I think they actually measured that took some physiological measures with mm-hmm. pulse and heart. And you actually saw like the pulse drop or like, yes. the, so, and I think the, the, the breathing slowed. So it's almost like meditative. You know, any, yeah. It's almost <laughs> like anyone who practice m- mindfulness or does those things. I mean, it's almost yeah. like, it seems like they're getting some of the same benefits through that. So I think that's sort of the, the other thing too, where, and that, that can lead to like less reactivity or like less fear and those types of things.
0: Right. So going back to what we were talking about before, not letting our dogs sniff regularly on walks, um, we're, we're taking away coping skills. We're taking away self soothing skills too.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. It's not just investigating. It's, it's self care. (laughs) You know, sniffing is the self care for dogs.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and uh yeah, we definitely want to encourage that. So uh and let and, and your we'll, dog sniff. Let your dog sniff. And we'll and we'll, we'll come back to the relationship piece because I do want to ask about that later because I think there, there there's some interesting things is there uh interesting things there as well. You know, and, and and we 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 did just touch on the the dog field study and they in that unpublished work and again the link to this will, will be in our references. Um it's unpublished, but it it seems pretty Pretty interesting in terms of stuff that probably should be explored further. Um, wh- wh- where they actually looked at dogs who were on a short leash, a long leash, and off leash, and they looked at the the amount of time sniffing. And I believe it was around three to four times more sniffing when they were on a long leash or off leash. Off leash was the best, but it, but the difference between the long leash and off leash actually wasn't that much. But there was a huge difference between the the amount of times you spent sniffing on a short leash than a long leash. Um, so, why do you think that is? And do, do you think that both this and you know f- what what you've learned from your experience um, should 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 that guide how we do our walks with our dogs?
0: Um, I don't want anyone listening to this think, "Oh my God, I'm." You know, I don't let my dog sniff because I keep them on a short leash. Because um, there are realities of life, and there may be very good reasons to have your dog on a shorter leash. Um, and again, like if it's bad weather or you're late for something, like it's okay to get to point A to point B. But I think there also have to be times when we allow the dogs to sniff, and the leash length. And the off leash and on leash piece are so interesting because it tells me that our dogs are trying to be really good on leash. That we've spent most of us spend a fair amount of time teaching our dogs to walk on leash, to pay attention to us, to not do things without asking first to sit before this, to lay down before this, to go to their bed, to get out of our hair. Um, And I think that's some of what's going on when they're on a short leash. Leash, they're closest, closer to us, and so they know our rules are in effect. And I think as they can, like a longer leash may signal to them that they don't have to pay as close attention to what we're saying and they take more liberties with their movement, um, how fast they move, how slow they move. I mean, some dogs move really fast to stir up air when they're, you know, we see that happen in class all the time, like dogs will run around and then stop Hmm. and be like, oh, it's over there. Wow. Um, So there's all sorts of physical stuff that goes on when dogs are exploring their world. And off-leash, I think, they can move as slow or as fast as they want. If they want to roll in something because they like the way it smells, they have that opportunity. If they want to suddenly turn 180 and chase another scent, um, if they want to just stand there and sniff the grass and try to figure out if there are little moles or voles underneath that they would like to dig to get to, they, they have all those options with that they just don't have when they're being asked to behave.
1: Yeah. And, and you touch on a good point because sometimes you really do just have to get from point A to point B or, or there are some dogs who need, you know, maybe some more vigorous exercise where the leash might, might be shorter, but it's definitely important to keep that in mind and make sure that we're giving outlets at least sometimes to practice sniffing other on a longer leash uh, or, you know off leash if you're lucky enough to have those opportunities yeah what i what, what i thought was interesting there though is because there wasn't that much of a difference between a long line and off leash that was sort of interesting to me that i think some owners are kind of concerned well if i use a long leash is it really the same as as off leash and i guess the answer is no but how much different is it really and you're probably getting a lot of bang for your buck still so if you're somewhere in new york city where you it's just not safe for your dog to be off leash in central park or different places, but you can definitely use a long line at, 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 different times. So even if it's a few times a week, but I think giving, you're giving a dog an opportunity to really just explore the environment, uh, in addition to going from the, you know, apartment to the doggy daycare or going for the run in central park, making sure they're actually getting that time to do the stuff that they like to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think freedom of movement too. You know that ability Mm -hmm. to um, to turn in the direction you want to turn in when you want to turn is incredibly wonderful. Especially if you're chasing scent, because you know scent on the wind does all sorts of crazy things. So the ability to yeah to suddenly move, change direction um, is super important.
1: And I I don't know how many people actually think about this, but I remember one time someone told me to hold the end of the leash that is usually hooked to the dog's collar. And they basically took me for a walk, blindfolded. <laughs> so one was blindfolded, but the other one wasn't. And, and just even when you weren't blindfolded, like to actually keep up and pay attention to where somebody is moving and where they're going. One is it takes a lot of mental energy. Yeah. And the second thing is it's frustrating as hell. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't like their patience is a lot more than, than the minus. So, so your point about, freedom of movement and having opportunities to do that is is, is definitely true and i would definitely if you want to you know have your neighbors think you're weird or maybe you know take videos of you but you know if you're out with someone actually hold the end of a leash and have someone take you on like a two-minute walk and change directions yeah, that, it it's it's, an, it's eye-opening
0: it's an awesome exercise i love that yeah um, it's
1: because we think leashes are normal but it's really like you're just tied to each other on a on a <laughs> you know six foot piece of rope and right
0: and dogs a- generally, I'm sorry to interrupt, but they don't walk in straight lines at a, nor- at a steady no. pace on their own. Like they run, they walk, they turn direction, they go back to where they just were, they zigzag like um, where this you must walk in a straight line on a sidewalk of <laughs> people that makes no sense to a dog.
1: Yeah, no, it makes no sense at all. And, and unfortunately, like I think when you're, I definitely notice even when I have my dogs in a, um, I mean, even suburbs can be challenging, but definitely rural, but definitely in some suburbs, you can definitely give a lot more leash uh, in, in the city. Sometimes it's really challenging because it's just dangerous sometimes. And you, yeah. you have to have your dog on a short leash. And then, you know, a t- topic for another day is how we sort of help replace some of those coping skills when they can't sniff all the time and do those things. Yeah. Um, I think that's important as well. So, uh, yeah, so the, um, so, and, so another thing is, so Horowitz, Hecht and Dedrick, uh, uh Horowitz has done a lot of great work on, yeah. on, uh, on, on the ability of a dog's nose. And, and Julie Hecht is definitely, I've taken classes part from her that. before. Yeah. She, she's uh, amazing. But I was
0: lucky oh, enough to take part in a study or tricks was lucky enough to take part in one of their studies.
1: Oh, really?
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. was Our claim to fame.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's really cool. And they did some research where they found that pet dogs seem to rely on eyesight and their owner more than their nose in a task which involved them determining which of two plates contained more food. And I think they did it where it was either covered or not covered. And they kind of looked at how well they did or how often they chose the, the plate with more food. And it seemed that their ability to use their nose to their full capacity Um, almost like it, I don't, I don't know if unlocked is the right word, uh, or if we're just getting in the way of it as humans and kind of having them live in a human world. But have you personally seen like once you've sort of done some nose work with a dog and either you unlock or just make that skill just a lot more, uh, efficient or effective? Um, like, have you seen that happen and does it seem to change how the dog, you know, lives in our human world after that?
0: Um, it's that I don't know that I have a clean answer for that. Sometimes I think, after doing classes and nose work, what happens is people, the handlers, become more sensitive to what they're seeing. So they give more um, leeway to their dogs to sniff. They see, like, if a dog suddenly turns direction or stops and puts their ear up and their nose up in the air they're curious and they'll stop and see what's going on whereas somebody maybe who hasn't spent a session watching their dog scent might see things like that and not give it much import or maybe they wouldn't even notice it it's just because you know you're walking down the phone talking on walking down the street talking on your phone and you're not really focusing on the behaviors your dog is, is showing you. Um, the, the smelling more is interesting because I don't know, I don't know how that translates to a dog's brain. I am sure, I mean, I, I trust Alexander Horowitz and Julie Hecht. I I am sure there is information in the study, but I know dogs have an ability to notice quantity when it's, measured out like one, two, three, mm-hmm. four. I don't know mass what would matter to them in that smell. Would it be a stronger smell or would it be or would I, I mean or or is there something in in the smaller quantities that makes the smell more appealing? Like I, I don't I don't know how to suss that out. I mean dogs definitely use their eyes too. They have yeah. eyes. They use them. Like it's not like they wouldn't see that. I just don't know if mass (laughs) matters to them the same way it does to us. Like we are always like more is better. I don't know in, in that kind of setup. I don't know if it does matter to a dog.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's uh yeah, who knows? I just thought it was sort of interesting. So I thought so I thought I would throw it out there. I, I do think potentially because I know in this one it was sort of the first time where they looked at pet dogs or Ooh. or sort of on trained dogs as opposed to dogs who have been trained, which I believe were better at using their nose to find the plate with more food. Yeah. And and so sort of like That's with pet dogs. Yeah. And, and and I don't know, maybe you know, maybe it's they maybe pet dogs spend a lot more time with their owners. Although I know there's lots of working dogs that spend lots of time with their handlers and have great lives and everything as well. And their relationship's great. So I don't, I think that's probably a leap to say that it's, has something to do with their relationship, but um, yeah, it is sort of interesting that, and, and that they, that it seemed like that they were relying on their eyes and, and, and humans more I, I, to me, it sort of spoke to the fact that I, they have amazing noses and they use them and they're, they're already amazing to begin with, but maybe it's like someone who's has a good raw talent for communication, but they go to communication classes or drama classes or, you know, you know, maybe it's like, it's actually taking something and refining it to, to, it's like almost like putting them through school with this raw skill that they have and then you, you can really just pile on top of it.
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and what it does for their human counterparts, um, for their owners or their handlers or their guardians, whichever word, we're most comfortable using. Um, it helps us gain access into something we normally don't have access to, or it allows us the illusion that we have access to it. Um, and you start, you start seeing little micro behaviors that let you know, oh, my dog just caught odor. Oh, my dog is working out a problem. Oh, my dog is, is detailing something. My dog has made a decision that they have found the thing they are looking for. My dog is now doing something that communicates to me that they have found the thing. Um, like you start, it's, it just becomes this wonderful, um, back and forth that happens. And going back to what we were talking about before about dogs who are frightened or dogs who are building confidence or need confidence in the world. Um, I think for them, the role reversal is mind blowing. I think for a dog to be told, you go find it and I will celebrate with you when you're successful. And we kind of step out of the picture and the dog finds it and knows they can do something to tell us that they're done and they found it and they were successful. And we listen. I think that's incredibly wonderful.
1: Yeah, it it is. And I, I definitely want to come back to the, um, to the whole relationship piece, because I think that that is super important. And that also could be a reason why the dogs did bet Like maybe it, maybe it was sort of the, the, Like I don't know how how much of the study their humans were there, but maybe there's you know as you become skilled at working with your dog at nose work, you're going to be able to do things to help them rather than impede them. So I think that's a a valid point. We'll come back to that. And and the other study was uh, just about eyesight and nose that that's important. Uh, Polgar and McLosey did a study, and when asked to. Accurately choose between their owner and a stranger. So, so the dog was asked to choose between a, an owner and, the, and, and a stranger. The the average pet dog often chooses sight more frequently and uses it more effectively than than smell. Um, and in fact, when asked to rely on only smell in such studies, they generally perform at only chance. So, I think like wow. it's yeah. So they they definitely obviously have this amazing you know, capability with their nose, but there are times that's sort of surprising where they're actually are using their eyesight. And I think this sort of anecdotally, I would say most pet owners, you know, may, you know, especially if there's multiple people in the household and you're walking down the street and the dog sees you, they definitely kind of just look at you and kind of get alert. And then yeah. you get get that tail wag. Like I don't, I don't, even though they could be sniffing, they seem to rely a lot on, on eyesight, but yeah, it's just sort of, interesting and and kind of a reminder of, again, we really have no idea <laughs> like, what, like how they're figuring stuff out or how they're perceiving stuff. But uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know that exactly happens. Like if I'm coming home from the subway and my husband takes tricks out to meet me, there are times when I think, oh my God, she smelled me. Because it seems like she's looking in the right direction and she's all like every every fiber in her body is is focused on, Oh my God, she's coming. She's coming. She's coming. She's coming. And then there are times when I, that happens and I feel like she doesn't realize it was really me until I get close enough for her to like come up and sniff me. Yeah. Like there, there are times when I'm not sure, like what is the, when is the point that, you know, it's me. Um, And it is funny, like sometimes she'll have to sniff a little bit on me. I mean, it's fast, but she'll sniff. And then it's like, yay, it's you. Um, So I'm not really sure like when what shifts, you know, when they're looking at using their eyes and then say, no, I need to sniff this to make sure or vice versa.
1: At least your dog is excited to see you because sometimes (laughs) – Sometimes like I try to play this game and then like Joey will see me. He's like, eh, like he just sort of looks at me and moves on and my feelings are hurt. And, um, he just really doesn't care. So at least your dog cares. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely interesting. And, and, but it's something like, it's a fun, kind of a fun game to play. I think for people too. like the next time that happens and maybe kind of like stand around a tree and see if they smell you versus like when they actually see you from far away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of a cool thing. Yeah. Um, Cool. So yeah, so, so, so given all that, let's, let's talk about canine nose work. Um, so I honestly, I have a very, you know, crude sort of understanding, um, of it. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what it is and and why you've chosen to dedicate so much time to it.
0: (laughs) Um, so canine, I think it's super important to know that canine nose work is an activity. Um, and there is no reason that you have to take part in it in order to compete. Um, you can just do it because it is so much fun to do, and that is more than enough. Um, so, in in the activity, we hold on one second. <laughs> That's okay. This
1: would this wouldn't be a, a dog <laughs> podcast without a dog barking. So <laughs> hold on.
0: Um, Okay, so canine nose work. The activity is about teaching dogs to find specific odors um, in an environment that is different every single time or it's a new environment every time um, to seek out those odors and then communicate that they have found them, much like you see on TV when drug dogs or bomb dogs are working, or even search and rescue dogs. Um, And we start by building the dog's independence and their ability to problem solve and deal with frustration. So in the very beginning, all we really want to do is tell the dogs, when you do this thing, it's all on you, and you can be successful. So we set the dogs up, so that their expectation of success is strong and it becomes fun it's we never want it to be a test we don't want it to be frustrating we never want to put the hides out just to make the dogs work hard i want my dog to walk into every search thinking cool this is going to be awesome Um, we start um, i teach with the nacsw methodology um which really, really puts the dog first. It's about the dog learning at their own speed and their own way um, and supporting what they're telling us the best we can. So if a dog is if a dog is moving slowly, I am never gonna set up an exercise to make that dog move more quickly. Um, I would much rather See value and how that specific individual is working, um, and point out all the cool things that you can see when a dog works slowly. Um, Once in the beginning, we and we start with food in the beginning. I, everybody's really, everybody rushes to teach odor right away, and there's nothing wrong with it. There are a million different ways to teach scent work, Um, but the truth is, teaching a dog to recognize a specific scent is the easy part. So before I get to teaching a dog that birch, anise, or clove is what I want them to start searching for, I want my dog to feel totally excited about the activity of searching, being able to do a several minute search and not give up, to problem solve. I smell something, but I don't know how to get to it. How am I going to do that? I want my dog to have an understanding of hides that are elevated, hides that are hidden and not necessarily accessible. Um, I want all those skills solid um, before I introduce odor. And our feeling about that, our reasoning for that is when you don't have to teach a dog to search for food. <laughs> right, <You> know, <laughs> right. It's like it's
1: like was it thirty thousand years of evolution scavenging?
0: <laughs> right, right. Most dogs um, are happy to look for some kind of delicious food, um, and if a dog is dealing with uh, with some kind of environmental sensitivity or fear, I don't want that feeling to be connected to the odor we're going to eventually use in our searches it's much easier to switch up food. Um, If something happens when you're using Gorgonzola, the next time you search, you can use hot dogs. Um,
1: Yeah. And, and maybe this is a good, uh, just a clarification point for people who, who haven't done this. So, so birch, clover, and anise. Clove, sorry, clover. Uh, Sorry, I I see, I I really do have a really crude uh, understanding. (laughs) Uh, Birch, clove, and anise. Those are the scents that, can NACSW I know
0: uses yeah. uses
1: right and so so basically instead of using you know cocaine and cadavers you're using something that's a little bit more appropriate for pet dogs and easier and, and, and easier to um, to for source
0: uh, yeah
1: and I think so maybe one question some people have is when you talk about introducing the scent it sounds like at first you're really just ha- it's having the dog find food that they want to have to find and then at some point you're layering in that odor so yes. you're you're basically saying just stick in the beginning to finding food because that's that's I mean they're using their nose to find something so don't necessarily rush the the part about adding the odor in.
0: Yeah and you know there are definitely different approaches to this um, So if somebody has started by targeting odor first or using odor right away, there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that that's just not the way i i work with dogs in this activity
1: right and uh and so sort of like what's the uh, so it sounds like in the beginning there are things like they're finding food that's probably hidden on the ground in boxes and those types of things and then how does that sort of graduate like how how do the how do the finds get tougher cuz i know like when i've seen things like there are things I think they call like high fines and there might be, you know, so just, just different ways where I think the, the odor can, uh, I guess behave might be the wrong word, but. No, it's the right word. Yeah. Behave like the odor can behave in certain ways that are different. It can be more challenging. So what what, what are sort of like the broad sort of buckets of challenges?
0: So when we first start out, it's just accessible food. We use, um, We use boxes in the very beginning to control our environment because the boxes allow us to create certain kinds of problems and they also allow us to help the dog if the dog is having problems. Excuse me. Um, And in the very beginning, we're just putting several pieces of hot dog in a box and the box is open so odor is very available. Um, oh, and going back to what you were saying, in the very, very beginning, when you start putting food in boxes um, and manipulating the boxes, you see dogs using their eyes at first. Mm. They're putting their heads in the box to look for the food. And then as they become more excited about the game and more into it, you start seeing them use their nose. They definitely make a switch. Um so, and so in the beginning, we've got open boxes and loose food. And as the dogs progress, we will start closing up boxes. So the food is still loose, but the odor might be a little more diffuse. Um, and then we start using inaccessible food. So we will put food in like a little tin that looks very similar to like an Altoid tin. Um, and we will hide the tin somewhere so now they're looking for less food, and it's also diffused because it's closed. And often to help, we'll put a few pieces of food on top of that tin as well. Um, and then you slowly take away the food that's on the outside. I would say by the end of a class, we, are, we have taken away a lot of that outside food so the dogs know that they're, what they're looking for that the hottest source of odor at that time is a diffuse source, right? Because up to that, the odor has been really strong and they've been able to get right to it. So now we have to tell them that sometimes the smell might not be as strong, but that's still what you're looking for. That diffuse smell is still the source. Um, And source odor right? Like it's never, it's in the beginning, you'll see dogs find that inaccessible food and keep going because they're like, that can't be it. That's not what I'm used to finding, right? It should smell differently. It should smell like this incredible bouquet reaching up to my nose. And now it's more of a secret that I have to source out. Um, And we'll let them go see if there's something else they should be fine. Like, okay, they just noticed that, but they're not sure that's really it. They're looking for what they're used to. They're they're looking for that open box of food. Um, And then you see them go, no, that's the only thing that's out here. That's it. And they'll go back to it. And because it's inaccessible and they're used to having full access to it, they will generally start to do something to get to it. It might be pawing in the very beginning or it might be looking at their person um, or they might freeze. And that's and then we'll come and we'll open up the tin and have a party with them like, yeah, you found it. You found it. That was it. That was it. Good, good dog. Um, and then we'll mess around with the quantity of food that gets put in that little tin. Sometimes it's not very much food. Sometimes we fill the tin up. So we want the dog to know that it's food that they're looking for, not the this much food or this much food. It's just, we want you to find your food out here. Um, And when the dogs start understanding that and they can find that inaccessible food in a variety of different situations, then we start pairing it with odor. So every time they get to their food, they're smelling birch or they're smelling anise, or they're smelling clove. And we're feeding them and rewarding them over that odor. So they're starting to associate the joy of the hunt and the reward with that smell of odor. And you can start then taking away food and just having odor out there. And the odor has taken on the joy of food so the, the odor becomes a strong enough motivator all on its own.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool. And is that similar to, cause I think one of the questions people ask is like, is this how, is this similar to how, you know, various, you know, detection dogs, whether they're detecting drugs or, you know, endangered species poop or, you know, whatever it is like, is, is, is it, people always ask me, is it, is it similar to, to how they do stuff? in the professional peop- ways?
0: The people who started NACSW are professionals. Um, they are drug and bomb dog handlers. And we work with the people who judge our competitions are also all professionals. They're either police um, police officers who work with their canines or their search and rescue or human remain Um, Dog detection. So I think the stakes are definitely higher in in the professional world. And the dogs that they use are often dogs bred for this kind of thing. um, And they're not necessarily pet dogs.
1: Right. Yeah, Um, they're sort of hyper motivated to... To perform not, this task over and over and over again. Right.
0: Not a sense, not a lot of self preservation sense. You know, right. they'll jump off a cliff looking for something if given the opportunity. Um, so I think the basic nuggets of how professional dogs are trained are used in our sport and then adapted for our companion dogs. And that's
1: great, because a lot of people are just fascinated with that whole process and to be able to have sort of a taste of that. Um, And then also just sort of how, you know, it it starts to you start to understand how this is done. And I'm sure as you go through it, it's like, oh, this seems pretty simple. And then you start to go through it and you start to realize well, some things are simple, and then it gets more complicated. And i and I know, I think I've read that. You know, like in the, what's nice about it, it sounds like as you, anyone who's interested in doing this from a competition standpoint, and and I believe, and I, some people get um, a little bit nervous about hearing the term competition, but for people who are interested about it, I I believe it's a pretty, it's it's not, um, it's a pretty supportive community, right? In yes, terms it's of very you know, it, I, I know some people can kind of can be, a, they've had some experiences with different dog sports and those types of things. And they hear a competition, they get a little bit afraid, but I, from what I've heard, it's, it's, it's a pretty supportive environment. And in, in the beginning, the, the tasks are easier, but it does actually build up to at some point where I, I believe like you do searches in cars or, um,
0: so are every, every nose work competition and every NACSW nosework competition for a title for a nose work title Um, has four elements. There's a search, there's a vehicle search, an interior search, an exterior search, and a container search. And the container searches are sort of like, if you think about the conveyor belt in the baggage claim at an airport, um, and when you see dogs there sniffing bags, that's kind of what our container search Hmm. is inspired by. Um, it is a day-long activity. Um, you're kind of sequestered in your car because the whole idea is that you go into an unknown, to a place you've never been before with your dog, and you ask them to search. So you don't want to know anything about you know, what's in the area or where, where things were hidden. Um, and the trials, people who host these trials are amazing to me because it is no small feat to find these places that will allow 40 dog handler teams to descend and search all over their property. Um, So it's a big to do. And if anybody can, you can go to the NACSW website and look at the calendar and see where trials are being held. And there's almost always at least two searches that spectators can watch generally interior searches. We can't accommodate, but Um, exterior and vehicles, we almost always can, and containers often we can. Um, It's just amazing to watch team after team walk into a brand new environment. You tell your dog to search and off your dog goes looking for birch anise or clove hidden somewhere in that environment. Um, So in the Nosework 1 level, there's always just one hide in each in each search and you have a time limit um, anywhere from two minutes to three minutes per search area to find what you need to find Uh, a nose work two you have up to two odors in each search and you'll be told or actually it can be up to three um, and you'll be told how many in each search and in Nosework 3, you can, have, you can have up to three hides in a search or no hides in a search, and you don't know. So your job is to go in there and find what there is to find, call finish, and get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so by the time you get to Nosework 3, it really is about working together as a team. Um, making sure you cover the area, making sure you've read your dog correctly, uh, and being able to move on to tell your dog to move on and keep going,
1: very cool, yeah, so it's it's nice because it's so it's a lot of the same concepts, really cool stuff, but it you know com- geared towards it sounds like you know pet owners, which is you know really awesome. So I think one of the questions here you know some people might have if if they're interested in this, and have you've already answered you know the fact that you know, this really is, this is an activity for, for most dogs and owners. So I think if someone's interested in this, they should probably reach out, but just sort of how difficult is it for somebody to get started? And, you know, are there types of dogs that, that seem to enjoy it more, Uh, or, you know, are there, you know, are there, yeah, like what sort of indicators is this something that might be something good for you and your dog?
0: Um, I'm not just blowing smoke. I've yet to meet a dog who did not like this, right? (laughs) I've seen dogs who have been a little wary or timid, but I have never seen a dog start nose work and be like, yeah, I'd rather go pay the bills now, you know, (laughs) like, um, so far in my experience, puppies, senior dogs, chihuahuas to great Danes I've seen do this sport. Uh, this activity and, and have a really good time. Um, yeah.
1: So, oh yeah. So it's really a more of a function of the owner. It sounds like probably than the dog for the most part.
0: Um, well, <laughs> the person's the one who has keys to the car. Yep. <laughs> so if you're going to get to a training facility, it's up to the human part of the team. Um, and it's different in how we, teach it than, say, going to an agility class or going to an obedience class or freestyle or rally class. Um, we only have one dog working at a time because we do allow reactive dogs in the class. We want every dog to feel safe when they're out um, on the floor. And because food is involved, in the, especially in the very beginning where there's loose food out, we don't want dogs who are out on the floor searching for food to worry that another dog's going to come running out and take it from them. I don't really want any fights on my, right. in right. my <laughs> nose work class over who gets to find the food first. So um, so where other classes, you may have more than one team out on the floor at the same time, all doing the same exercises or working on different pieces of equipment or different routines. Um, in nose work, we pretty much watch one dog at a time search. Um, And what ends up happening in class is that the entire class treats every dog that's out on the floor as though that dog was theirs. And everybody begins rooting for the dog. And you start hearing people in the class go, did you see that? Did you see that? He caught it. He caught it. He's, you know, and it, it becomes this wonderful environment where everybody's rooting for everybody. And the really cool thing about a nosework in-person class um, is that you see dogs work the same problem. So one dog goes out on the floor, let's say, to find a hide that's been placed two-thirds up on the wall on a vertical surface. And it looks like that dog isn't catching it at all or is doing all these random things. And then finally, you see them work the problem and find the odor. And then you see the next dog come out and do almost exactly the same thing. And you're like, oh man, that's not, it wasn't like a fault of my dog. That's how the odor's working. That's how they're catching it. That's how they're working it back to source. And if you only had, Um, a study of one dog, I think it would be really easy to make incorrect assumptions about what your dog was doing. Um, So getting to see that over and over again and getting to see even the differences sometimes in a very small dog and a very high dog, because they will catch odor in different, a tall dog, not a high dog. um, They'll catch odor in very different places and you'll see, Sometimes sometimes you'll see a difference in how they work it, and sometimes you won't. There's this amazing Maltese in our class named Shorty, um, <laughs> who I miss dearly. He's no longer with us. But he worked high hides faster and more efficiently than any tall dog in the class. It was amazing. That's this cool. little guy would just go out and nail it every single time.
1: Yeah. I, and what I like about that too is the fact that you do allow, you know, some reactive dogs to take part as well. Cause I think that there are owners with reactive dogs who, you know, may want to do an activity and it can be really difficult to do other types of sports and those, and those types of things. And, yeah. and I think that this is one that could actually potentially help as well. Uh, you know, as a sort of, have them in a place where they get to do do this type of stuff and they're sort of there's almost like a you know depending on how it's done you could almost get a desensitization counter conditioning effect a little bit um you know if they're reactive to other dogs or maybe a little bit nervous of people that's probably encouraging to some people as well that you know hey this is something that could potentially especially if there are some people who are really hungry to it's almost like a, they want. They want to do things with their dogs. They want want a sense of community, but especially with the reactive dog, it can be very isolating.
0: Yeah. And to that point, I think um, you spend so much time like walking your dog at midnight or early in the morning or going out when people aren't around uh, or apologizing for your dog or feeling embarrassed or frustrated. And you can bring a reactive dog into class And get to see this whole wonderful new side of the dog. And you see the handler start to appreciate their dog in a whole new way. And you see that relationship kind of take root in a new way and really bloom. And I think that travels outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, the way the hand, the way the owner starts to feel about their dog and seeing all the cool things their dog can do because we spend so much time worrying about the naughty things they do or the embarrassing things they do or the bad things they do Um, and getting to have this experience it's transformative for both the dog and the person because it goes both ways right the dog is suddenly like oh you get it you get me (laughs) you're you know what i'm doing and you think it's cool and you're rewarding me for it that's awesome And, um, it certainly is not a cure for anything, but it is so wonderful to do while you're working on other problems, because I do think it influences the person as much as it influences the dog.
1: Absolutely. And it's important, like you said, when you have those reactive dogs to have those moments where, where you can feel proud. And I'm sure also just when you know, if other handlers are cheering for their dog and, you know, to not feel like a, you know, to to not feel like a pariah, basically, you know. Um, And I'm sure it also probably teaches some of the other owners who maybe haven't really spent time around a reactive dog to sort of see the other side of things too, which I think is, which I think is important because not, you know, just because a dog is, is loud and obnoxious. I mean, you know, doesn't mean at certain times doesn't mean that that's always the way that, that, that they're, they're not always right. like that. Um, right. And obnoxious is a very human term, but I'm how people perceive it is, is yeah. basically what I'm saying. Uh, so I think, uh, I feel like that's probably pretty cool as well.
0: It's really cool.
1: Yeah. And sort of the, this could probably sound a little intimidating for people to get started. I mean, how, how much do people have to practice every day because I'm sure some people right now are listening when you know, they're thinking they're training like three hours a day. I'm guessing that it's probably, you know, it's probably much more manageable than people think. So. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so we always say we leave the dog wanting more. So I would say sessions of um, your dog looking for, for things um, should last somewhere between five and 15 minutes. And certainly you don't have to do it every day. You could do it twice a week. You could do it once a week. Um, You could do it more. It's totally up to you and your dog. But it, it it should be fun for both of you. So it's totally fine to fit it into your schedule.
1: So, yeah, so that's, that, yeah, that's great. And it's probably something that it's probably easy to overdo it sometimes, I would imagine, especially in the beginning. So what I think is kind of cool about this is sometimes, I mean, you need to practice, but sometimes less is more, I feel like with this stuff, especially in the beginning.
0: Yes. And, and knowing that your dog is still having fun when you end is great. You don't want to, you don't want to, (laughs) yeah, it's really hard. Um, But not doing that, um, you don't want to leave your dog in an exhausted, frustrated state either. And all that sniffing and searching uses a tremendous amount of brain power. It's it's like studying for an exam. It's intense focus. Um, and it's also physical. So you may find even that after 15 minutes, even though your dog is having fun, they'll settle much more easily afterwards because they're a little worn out, you know we need yeah, a break.
1: That's nice. And it's also something that what's nice about this activity is you can do it if it's snowing out or it's rainy yeah, or you just don't feel like weather. going outside. So maybe do a <laughs> bathroom walk and instead of a long walk, you do this instead. So yep. it's definitely a really nice tool to have, you know, to sort of keep our dogs enriched. Um, and that sort of leads to to, to the next question is, you know so there might be people whose maybe the dogs are you know unsuitable for, for for the environment which it sounds like is pretty rare but i'm sure it happens um, or there's people who maybe don't have time or the desire to actually go to the competitions and those types of things which which is understandable yeah. are, 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 are there are there ways for people to get similar benefits for their dog at home
0: absolutely there's no reason the competition is almost like a whole separate arm of this of nose work um, it, it nobody ever has to compete there's no you don't have to do nose work in order to be a dog sports competitor you can do nose work just because it's so damn fun and it's amazing watching your dog have such a blast um it's addictive you start watching your dog having all this joy in doing this work and you just want to keep doing it with your dog and if you do it in your living room for your dog's whole life that's totally cool your dog is still having fun and being challenged and having success
1: cool and i'll definitely ask you in a little bit just more towards the end about maybe some resources people can use but we'll 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 save that for the uh for for the end um but that's good to know because and I would highly encourage people if you're at all, even remotely interested in even just doing this at home to try it because it is very cool. I would be shocked if your dog didn't like it. Um, And so it's, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's really, you really have nothing to lose by, by even just trying it out at home or, you know, taking a class if it's something where you're kind of looking to get out of the house. I think it's, you know, an introductory class or doing it at home is something Worthwhile for for a lot of people, I think.
0: Yeah, and I know you know people or lots of people hide food around their house already for their dogs to find. It's the same principle. It's the same thing. Yep. Um, Yeah.
1: Cool. Uh, So, what are some common mistakes that beginners make? So, let's say people start to get into this, or either they're they're getting (laughs) into competitions or they're doing it at home. So, for example, uh, get. Gazi and colleagues in 2005. So they so they did a study and reported that low likelihood of discovering the target objective. So in this case, it would be either the food or the anise or the clove, uh, or whatever scent you're using, it resulted in diminished motivation, um, as did poor use of rewards, It, it, it can do the same thing. So basically, if your dog isn't successful, all the time. It sounds like it can be demotivating. And if you're using poor rewards, it can be. And what I thought was sort of interesting about this one is that once the demotivation happens, it can be difficult to reverse. So for people getting started, what what are some things they can keep in mind so that their dog can learn, they can have fun and stay motivated and prevent digging a hole that might be difficult or frustrating to get out of?
0: Um, <laughs> there are... I think, I think the biggest problem could be twofold. It's expecting too much from your dog right off the bat um, and not staying at foundation levels, not pairing with food, not feeding its source. Um, it's a feeding. It's when your dog finds the thing, once you're hiding a thing and they're no longer looking for food in a, Box. The reward needs to be for the search, and not for the communication back. If that makes any sense. Hmm. So, lots of people worry right off the bat of how am I going to know? I need my dog to do X, Y, and Z, um, and in their worry that they need to understand when their dog has found the thing they put so much emphasis on the alert behavior that the dog thinks it's the alert behavior that gets rewarded and not the search. Uh, And so sometimes if they're frustrated or they don't quite understand what they're supposed to be doing, they'll resort to the behavior that gets most reinforcement, which might be a sit or a bark or a paw, um, pawing at something. Um, that's not to say teaching an alert behavior is wrong. There are schools of training that te- that teach alert behaviors or final responses right off the bat. I just think it has to be done in a way that it's very clear to the dog what's being rewarded. Um, the other thing that I see is handlers not really understanding their part in the search, especially in the beginning. And they help the dog an awful lot. Um, oh, and if the dog, if if the handler is constantly walking right over to where the hide is and standing near it or pointing to it or not having the patience to let the dog work through it and just gives up um, and it's like takes the the food or the odor and it's like here it is and feeds it feeds the dog there. Um, that can be totally demotivating because really the fun for the dog is the search it's the working <laughs> it's like, uh, it out
1: it's like helicopter parenting almost
0: yes right but but it comes from not it comes from being frustrated that your dog is frustrated or not quite trusting that your dog can do it i mean the big saying around scent work sports is trust your dog um and in the beginning, you'll see new handlers, they're searching as much as the dog is. Like they're looking at in the environment and going, oh, I bet it's over there. And so they'll just walk over to where they think someone might've put a hide and insist their dog search there rather than letting their dog find out where it is on their own. Um, because I will say 10 out of 10 times, you're going to be wrong about where you think that hide is Um, and your dog will not. But it's really, really hard for us to let go of that. And it's really hard for a lot of people to let go of that control. You know, we really, and we really want to be more involved. I think that's part of it too, is that we really want to do this with our dog and we want more. We want to be able to say we helped more and, we don't understand in the very beginning, the best way to help and support your dog is different than the best way to help and support another person when they're learning something new. Um,
1: Yeah. And and I even think that probably applies to people sometimes too, where sometimes we do jump in a little too early. Uh, Like I think as a dog trainer, I know I've done that in the past a lot more when I was a younger trainer You know sort of letting people do have to figure things out on their own a little bit so you you can put the guardrails on yeah but but you know if you see them going off a little bit and you're kind of basically yanking them back into the middle all the time it, it can be counterproductive what i also like about that as well is is you know i i do think what's really healthy and something we should probably be encouraging more whether it's through this activity or others but just even for dogs to learn how to deal with a little bit of frustration, I think is yeah. probably a really good thing because life is frustrating sometimes, and it's and a life
0: skill. Yeah, right? it's
1: a life skill in learning how to deal with frustration and maybe work through a problem or you know whatever it is. And I that's that's really cool, and it, and it's I think if people can kind of see that as part of the process. And I think it, you know, potentially can make it a little bit easier, but it is hard. It's, you want to help them out. You, you want to, you know, you, you want to make sure they're, they're doing well, but it is interesting. I think that just takes practice and time and a good coach probably to help you see when that's happening.
0: Yeah. Um, And it's totally normal. It's so human to approach it that way Um, because we're using our vision and we're using our big brains. And we want our dog to have fun, but I only have ten minutes. And this—if this dog doesn't find the thing, I'm just going to show him it. You know, like it's all—it's all very human. The way we, the way we get in our own way when we're teaching dogs scent work.
1: Yeah, getting out of my own way is is pretty much what I, what I try to do. I'm not. It's it's really hard.
0: It's really hard.
1: <laughs> Whether it's with your dog or whatever, it's uh yeah. Trusting
0: the
1: process. Yeah. Yeah. Trusting the process. So, so sort of about that and with sort of owner's abilities, there was a couple of studies. So Lefebvre uh, and his colleagues in 2007 and Lit et al in 2011. So they discussed how the behavior handlers affected the efficacy of detection dogs. Uh, And Kara, Kara PC and uh, Mariti, uh, they both had a did a study with um, some other authors. And they reported severely reduced motivation if the dog's familiar handler is replaced by another. So, so what's, what's interesting here is that, you know, you talk a lot about uh, independence, and they're doing it on their own. But there's definitely something going on here. Because obviously the owners uh, or the handlers can affect how how efficient the, the dog is doing. And even just like you could probably it sounds like swap with another handler who knows what they're doing, but there's something in that relationship that uh that's helping the dog be more efficient, which is which is really interesting. Uh so what's like what do you think is going on there? I know it's a pretty complicated question, but
0: um I think it's knowing someone and familiarity with how they move. Knowing they, it, it's a relationship. Um, if you work with the same dog day in and day out for weeks, and then somebody else comes in, hopefully the dog still knows his or her job and is happy to do it. But I could see being distracted if suddenly the handler does something you've never seen before, or if you have a handler who patterns differently, or a handler who rewards too late or too early, like all those little things I could see totally could throw off a dog. Um, That being said, um, I know professional handlers who train their own dogs and feel a source of pride that anyone could handle their dog, that they feel that they have trained their dog to a point of competency that they don't matter. maybe that's just not true. Maybe we do matter more than we think. Um, (laughs) and that would make sense. I mean, it, it, it would make like, even with dance partners, like if you, if you use that metaphor, if you went ballroom dancing with the same person over and over again, and then took another partner, it would be, it would be the same, but it would be totally different.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I, I've related to, I mean, I've, played a lot of ice hockey and I'm a forward. So, you know, if I'm playing center and I have uh, a wingman who I've been playing with and you could swap them out for someone else equally as good, it just feels different. Your timing's yeah. off, you know, because you almost get to a point where you know where someone else is going to be. You don't even have to look at them. You you, you can read subtle things from them as well. Um, and Um, And there's even just a comfort thing. So, yeah, I suspect you're right that it's it's you know relationship based, and and even though they are independent and doing stuff, you're still there, you know. And I, it, they're, they're it's even just being that sort of like I don't know, like just helping them feel like, yep, you're on the right track. Let's keep going, or yeah. I've, got, I've got your back, yep. whatever it is.
0: And as as the searches become more complex, and as you know less and less about what you're going to find when you go into a search. um the handler does become more active in the search. In the beginning, we want the handler to take more of a step back. But when you have really large areas to search, you have to have a strategy and you have to be able to control things a little bit more. You have to be able to move your dog on. Um, so you you start working on handling skills as a whole other part of this activity, Um How do you make sure your dog has really covered an entire giant area or even a very small area? Sometimes small areas are trickier than they seem, than they seem they might be. Um, And you need to make sure not only has your dog walked through an area, but they actually worked it. They sampled the air while they were there and they made a decision to keep moving because they were clearing it nothing's here, I need to keep looking, rather than just, woohoo, I'm running and this is fun. Um, So there becomes more of a give and take. Um, In my first elite search, I spent way too much time in very large areas where there was no odor, because I didn't have my sea legs yet. I didn't know how to go into a large area and read my dog and say, "Mm, we're going to leave now, because I know if there was odor, you would have caught it by now. I I stayed in that room too long. So my dog stayed in that room too long. And the longer I stayed in, the more my dog started wondering if she should be doing something else. And then you get false alerts, right? Because you're, you're so sure you're in here because there should be a hide and there's something in your body language that your dog is cueing off of. And so your dog's like, well, I don't smell anything, but you're acting weird and you seem to think something might be here, so I'm going to tell you it is, right? And then you call it, you say alert, and the judge says no, and you feel really rotten. <laughs> but but all that learning to to read each other and having a dog who's resilient enough to say, you're acting weird. I don't know why you think there's something there. There isn't. And that, that dog moving off and the handler being like, "Oh, I guess there's nothing there." That's a totally cool comm- conversation right there.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: Um it's also and a cool it, it, conversation the other way if your dog if your dog alerts because you're standing still and looking at something that gives you tons of information too like oh, we need to work on this because you're taking way too much information from my body language than I want you to,
1: yeah, definitely, and yeah, it is just really cool that there's this cooperation and there really are these conversations, and I think anyone who's done you know this or other types of you know, other different types of competition or things where you kind of cooperatively have to do stuff together. There's definitely a communication that, that happens that's nonverbal and it becomes very fluent after a while. And like you said, it takes time to learn how to, you know, it's, we're a primate species and a canine species, um, with some amazing evolution that's happened to allow us to communicate with each other and tapping into that, is, it always feels like a little primal to me. Uh, and I, it's always nice when you get to do a cooperative task with, w- with, a dog. It's, it's, uh,
0: Absolutely.
1: you know, so e- e- even in a case where you're, it feels like, you know, they're, they're trained to be independent and do it on their own. I still feel like there's, yeah, there, there, there's still an element uh, of that relationship.
0: And there's, they are so aware of every move we make, every move oh, we yeah. make, they know it. Um, Yeah, they're working independently, but they're still with us for sure. They're still paying attention to us,
1: definitely. And so, so kind of like, so I think that's great because that's sort of like a good, really solid overview. You know, whether people want to do it at home or maybe get involved or even just learning about it today. But I'm just wondering, do you have sort of an interesting story that I I think you talked about? I think it was Sheridan.
0: Sheridan, yeah.
1: Sheridan, yeah. In the beginning, which was cool, but. Uh, are there any other sort of stories where the benefit of doing this sort of translated outside of the classroom that 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 you can think of? Um,
0: there was a Kerry Blue Terrier named Dublin who started taking classes at the facility, like puppy classes, basic manners classes. And he would not come out from underneath the chair. Um, and when he came to nose work... <laughs> He would not move away from his person. Like he would not take two steps away from her. He would also get really frustrated very easily and have let us know his frustration by pooping on the floor or peeing. Like it was the ultimate, I don't know what you people want from me and I can't anymore. It's way too stressful and guess what? I need to go to the bathroom, so I'm going. (laughs) Um, And Jean hung in there with him. And he became a little machine. He would come out and search um, and never give up and and just be amazing out there working. And she decided she wanted to compete with him. And I believe um, we lost him recently too. She got uh-huh. two, two Nosework 3 titles with him. So she was one away from her Nosework 3 Elite title. But... I recall talking to her and, she, and her saying he's just transformed in general. He became a much more confident, happy dog um, uh-huh. after doing nose work. So those beginning classes, even though they seem like nothing may be happening or you feel a little bit like you're wasting your time, I think there's way more going on than we can see on the surface. Um, totally. and the more opportunities the dogs have to learn that they can do it and they're good at it and they get really good paycheck for it. <laughs> they mm-hmm. get, they get rewarded generalis- generously. Um, it, it just, it, it travels with them. They have that for the rest of their life. I can do this thing and it's awesome. And my person knows it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I don't think that's an unusual story by any means. And I know we already talked about it, you know, not being a cure for anything, but man, there's, there's been a lot of, heard a lot of stories about that, just about confidence building and dogs like really coming out of their shell and wanting to explore and just making them feel comfortable in their own skin. So, yeah. um, so I mean, and worst case scenario is you find, you know, is, I mean, like you said, I, I don't think I've ever seen a dog who didn't like doing, this work, at least at home, like where they're comfortable, right? You know, it's like the worst case scenario, you find a, an activity that's fun for your dog. And best case scenario, you find something that you also like to do and you learn how to communicate with your dog better. And, and then your dog and yourself can get benefits out of it as well. So yeah, really awesome. Just uh, very cool stuff. So uh, j- just for the, the last couple of questions here. Um, so this one is, if somebody wanted to get involved. With canine nose work Uh, how can they get started and if somebody wanted to just try it at home first uh, are there any helpful resources
0: I believe there are a million YouTube videos (laughs) (laughs) so if you Google nose work or scent work or canine nose work um, you know some may be better than others but it would give you a good idea of how maybe to start on your own I would also especially in the beginning, really recommend taking a class with a certified nose work instructor. Um, CNWIs go through a pretty rigorous training period where we are taught a whole lot about olfaction and odor. um, That allows us to put together, I think, some pretty great syllabi for for our nose work classes um there are online opportunities too which can be certainly could be fun um and i don't want to discourage that but i do also just want to repeat that there is nothing that beats in person um classes where you get to watch many dogs work you learn so much um and your classmates start telling you things that you didn't see about your dog that they see. Because, you know, we have so much emotional baggage attached to our dogs and so many assumptions. But when you start hearing your classmates telling you what they're seeing your dog do, it's it's really amazing. It's Really? My dog did that? Are you sure? <laughs> like, and they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Your dog caught odor way across the room. You didn't, you know. Um, and we actually videotaped. A lot we encourage our students to video class because there's so much you don't see in real time and when you can go back and look at the video objectively I mean because face it getting up in front of a class of people sometimes is a little intimidating sometimes it's a little embarrassing if your dogs having an off day sometimes you worry you're taking too long on the floor and people you worry that people are impatient with you um, so when you get to watch the video with all that taken away from you, you see so many amazing things that your dog did while they were searching that you might not have caught in real time because of your where you were standing in the room or how you were feeling, or maybe you got distracted and were worrying about picking up groceries on the way home, or um, you just didn't see it because it happened so fast. Video is an amazing tool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Cool. And then the last question here to sort of wrap everything up. And this doesn't, does not have to be uh, nose work related, although it can be. It's uh, something I ask to all guests. So, just based on all of your experience and all that you've learned, if you could share one piece of advice with pet owners everywhere, what is it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, Brian.
1: I just went totally blank. That's okay. You can take your time. I think as it, the, the purpose of the question is you know if we just, like with someone with all of your experience and working with you know I would assume at this point in your career hundreds if not thousands of dogs both from a behavior perspective uh, you know just working with with pet dogs and seeing lots of different things if there was one thing you could impart on everyone. If you had the chance, well,
0: I think it's, you know, before I mentioned that trust your dog slogan, but I think that does carry over into real life that even if things feel hard, they're going to get better because you're committed to working with your dog, you love your dog. Um, And if you find a really good trainer, to hang in there with you, you're going to see change. That's awesome. Your dog, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Cool. So we'll end it there.
0: Okay. All right. Oh, wait, I have one more thing. Oh, okay. I have a cool nose fact that I love cool. to tell people. The slits in a do- on the side of the dog's nostrils, that allows your dog to exhale without disturbing what they're smelling in front of them. So Whoa. the air comes out in that little from that little slit, and it creates um, like a little eddy that also pushes air back in, but they're not disturbing what they're sniffing in front of them.
1: Wow, how cool yeah. is that' That's, It's ridiculous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know why a dog's nose is wet, right?
1: I, I well, why don't you tell us? <laughs>
0: <laughs> because odor molecules stick really well to wet spongy material.
1: Awesome. So now I know when my dogs wake me up in the middle of the night with their wet nose on my leg, <laughs> <laughs> that they're getting a big dose of my, I guess my scent sticking yes. to their nose or so. Um, Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Oh, and you. and I'll put your contact info in the references at in the um, episode guide as well. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you.